This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Valls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name is Lyle Fulton, and I am joined this week, as I always am, by the brilliant Jackie Vores. How are you, Jackie? How are you this week? Hi, Lyle. I'm fine. I need to do a quick disclaimer. Ludo is in the room and he's feeling particularly whingy. <laughs> we, do, we do these podcasts at various different times of the day and this happens to coincide with his weird dog clock. Yeah, which is a ridiculously to the minute. And normally at this time of day, Ludi is out on his third walk of the day. But alas, he's going to wait until the podcast is done. Exactly. The podcast has <laughs> intervened and Ludo's walking schedule. Also as well, household pets just seem to have this kind of golden hour worth of craziness. I mean, I was watching a documentary about how cats have like a half an hour period of the day where they just go completely crazy and run around <laughs> the house or wherever you may reside, whatever type of building that may be. And then they calm down again. It's like, you're never like that ever for the <laughs> other 23 and a half hours of the day. Why have you done that? So yes, Ludo is with Jackie. I'm sure Ludo will have lots of opinions on this <laughs> <Bonios>. week's topic. <laughs> this week's topic is crisis management. I think it shocked both of us before we went live on this episode that we hadn't yet done an episode no. on crisis management in PR because it is such a huge area of mm. the public relations industry. And I suppose tooting our own horn ever so slightly, maybe we haven't done an episode on crisis management because Demozo has quite fortunately not had to do a huge amount <laughs> of it with its clients because we kind of get ahead of the game in that respect. And also our clients are wonderful. So that's... crisis preparedness. Exactly <laughs> right. There you go. That word preparedness again, we love it. But I suppose... Yeah. Just opening it right up to begin with mm. on crisis management. What has your experience been when vast. it comes to crisis management in PR? Yeah, vast. I mean, sort of Absolutely talk us through. vast. And I know it sounds an awful thing to say because nobody wants things to go wrong, but I actually love a good crisis. <laughs> I really do. Not when I first dealt with crises, crises, you know, when you're first, when you're new to it, it's possibly the most terrifying thing in the world to suddenly be asked to be put on the spot what do i do and you're like <gasps> and luckily over time and having many types and years of crisis it's something that i now really enjoy because you can really excel in it and you can get it right and i always hold up richard branson as being one of the best people to sort of hold up as an example of excellent crisis communications when the Virgin trains came off the track and there was a crash, I don't know if everybody understands that, you know, Virgin is a franchise, basically. Mm. The Virgin name is is put on all sorts of different types of businesses. But he is always associated with those businesses, whether he has a controlling stake in it or not. And I'm not sure what his what his involvement in terms of from a business ownership standpoint was with Virgin Trains at the time. But that was irrelevant because he himself knew that he would always be tied to the Virgin brand. Yeah. And he was so quick off the mark, straight in, straight over, showing leadership, showing presence, giving information in the right way. Because I think a lot of people with crisis clam up to start with, get hugely defensive and just think, say nothing, say nothing, say nothing, nothing's off the record. And they remember all of the basic media training they get, which is nothing is off the record when you say it, but they, they forget that in times of crisis, 
you need to show leadership and direction and leadership and direction comes from excellent, simple communication. And even better, if you have a crisis plan at the beginning of all of that, when you've thought through all the things that could go wrong and you can just activate your crisis plan and you keep your people trained in your crisis plan, all the better. But then, you know, life is strange. You never know when a crisis is going to hit you. And that's the time that I've been usually drafted in. Because as you say, with my clients, they've usually got a crisis plan. They usually know what could go wrong and how they would handle it. But when I have been drafted in on various different types of crises, then I'm usually having to deal with the reactive. We have no plan. We didn't know this was going to happen. So yeah, it's a really vast subject, but this really is it, interesting right? one. It's a fantastic subject isn't it because it really does have so many facets and there are so many different approaches to it but also i'm really pleased you brought up the idea of kind of reactive versus proactive because obviously a proactive approach mm. is having a crisis plan you know i mean having a set of mechanisms in place that should a situation like that arise you just activate whatever you had in terms of your plan a checklist of things that you know you're going to do and away you go and that could be described as a proactive crisis preparation quite often i wouldn't say that would be proactive Mm. let me just um proactive no preparation is definitely having the plan proactive is revising that plan constantly that is with crisis that is really where you know excellent planners stand out because we have on previous podcasts discussed how the media changes the media landscape changes influences change social factors change political climate changes all of these things are changing all the time so just saying oh yeah i've done a crisis plan tick that stick that in a box over there that's not going to work no being fully cognizant of what can go wrong and that means bringing and i've been talking about this a lot at the conferences i've been speaking at recently bringing product together with communications tight more tightly, especially in today's landscape really is important because oftentimes your product people know exactly what could go wrong. Yeah. Um, and your, <laughs> and your communications people are off there, you know, happily promoting your product, but not actually thinking of, Ooh, what goes wrong with, what happens if something goes wrong with the product? The other thing, sorry, I know I'm rambling on a bit, but no, it's brilliant. It's such an important subject is that everybody should have a crisis plan a lot of people think that oh crisis that's just for the the big companies you know the procter and gambles or the coca-colas of this world you know crisis should only really be something that that they think about because you know they some cans coming off a production line in coca-cola could poison a load of people and Everybody thinks this crisis is being some this big, big thing that only applies to big, big companies. And that is so not true, especially in today's um, media landscape where anything tiny can blow up and be viral. So it's just important, just as important for somebody who um, runs a communications agency like <laughs> we do or a shopkeeper to just think about all the things that could go wrong. I was going to ask you, Mm. but you kind of got ahead of me, pun intended. So (laughs) think about that one, listeners, right? Think about that. Okay, that is is a clever pun. You've got ahead of me there. But I was going to still ask the question, in fact, how important is it to have that plan and to really speak and cooperate from a communications agency perspective, communicate with your client and have a plan in place that I suppose 
on both sides of the interaction, hope is never used. You know, hope mm. we never need to enact this plan. But using a performance parallel, using a performance analogy, there are instances where if you go on stage in a production or if maybe less so on a film set, although there have been some really, really dreadful incidents of really poor accidents recently, uh, having yeah. taken place re very recently, very high profile accidents. Mm. But on stage in particular, which is kind of more my wheelhouse, certainly recently, there are instances where props are in the wrong place or even at times just not even there. And, you know, fingers are pointed and stage management are contacted and why wasn't this in a certain place and et cetera, et cetera. But in the moment, a paying member of the public is not going to want you to just completely down tools and go stage manager. Where are you? Why is my cup of tea not where it normally is? You got to adapt. It's the same for drying on stage. If you forget a line or your, your mind just goes blank and you don't know what it is you're supposed to be saying, some performers and some professionals and I'm not knocking them and I'm not going to name any names, we'll just kind of go in and go, oh, it's all probably going to be fine. And then they get really thrown by things like this happening and they completely come out of it and it kind of goes to pot a little bit. Not to my own horn, but I actually really enjoy when things like that happen because it's dynamic, it's interesting, mm. it's exciting. You kind of get that adrenaline rush and you have to improvise and adapt on the fly. But I'm only able to do that because I trust the preparation I've done before I go on stage. I know where I am in the play. I know who I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to feel at that given moment. And I have fun with it. But it's because I have that preparation sort of underlying mm. and underpinning everything I'm doing on stage. It's the same, right, for a communications yeah. agency with a client. You hope you never have to use it. But having that plan in place has well, to be so, so important. Actually, what you've really highlighted there, which I love, is the fact that a lot of crisis is about how you deliver your message or how you deliver your dealing with the crisis, how you perform in those moments of stress. See, what you've got to remember is, let's talk about empathy here. You empathise with your audience there. Mm. You think the show must go on. I'm just going to welcome this. I'm going to make sure they get the best experience of this play, even though I'm standing in the middle of a force nine gale. And yeah, OK, the, the rain is in the play, but, you know, it's it. you move on, you complete and you you give them the experience they expect. Now, if you look at a crisis, a lot of the time, it's not actually even about what you say in the first instance. It's how you empathise with your audience, with your publics. So I'll give you an example. Richard Branson, I'll go back to that, that example. He said at the time, we do not know what went wrong yet, but I'm still here to speak and show that we, we want to find out, that we will be finding out, we will be coming back to you. And I have told my people to be back to me within five hours. And I want to be able to tell you in five hours what has happened. So what he did there, and I'm just I'm just riffing there because I don't know the exact thing, but I remember no. rem I remember listening to him thinking, "Whoa, you're brilliant!" And that's because he's a natural empath. That's because he's a natural communicator. I don't mm. think he was trained to do that whatsoever. But what he did then was he spoke to a very wide audience of very concerned people to say, "Yeah, this has gone wrong." We're taking full responsibility, but he didn't actually say legally, he didn't tick that box and say, it's all our fault. We're taking full responsibility. What he did was he said, we're taking responsibility for managing this situation, which is a completely different thing to we're taking responsibility. 
but he gave the impression of taking responsibility. He gave the impression of ownership. He gave the impression of management, gave the impression of you're in my mind to come back to you. Communicating to you is really, really important to me. And you know, that is half the battle with crisis because what you have to be is empathetic to everybody's needs. And that includes your corporation's needs. It really is a skill as well, isn't it? Because you're right to pick out Richard Branson as an excellent example of this. It's such a big corporation that obviously he is attached to, he's synonymous with, and it's his, it's his company. And obviously there'll be his brand, <laughs> his brand, yeah, his franchise, you know, it's mm. like, you know, and whilst he will not be directly involved in certain facets of that business, when crisis comes a knocking, so does Branson, right? You know, he kind of has to be there. He has to be the public front facing figurehead of however the response starts to manifest itself. And you're so right, particularly with a big franchise, a big brand like that, and brands you've worked with, I'm sure, in crisis management before. And again, the performance analogy can be stretched to this point as well. Admitting fault can in itself be empathetic. Oh, and it can obviously, but big, big one with fault. But That's it can't, a... you know, but it can't, but some, exactly, because you're spot on, right? It's such a huge thing because at the same time, you've got the consumer down below and I I say down below kind of physically you know if you're up on a platform and they're awaiting answers or they're you know watching tv or they're reading it in the paper and they want answers to why this particular crisis is unfolded they're going to want answers to the tune of some form of apology but the second you go that far there's a fault issue which those above the figurehead might take issue with as well because the whole story is not yet Reveal this itself is where and... it gets thorny. Yeah. Um, because if you look at the royals with the don't blame, don't complain, don't explain mm. kind of approach, a lot of people sort of hold that up as, you know, the some the way to be. I think you have to take every every crisis and look at it on its own merits. It is something you can apply a set of rules to in terms of checklists. But it's not something you can say, oh, that worked over there for so-and-so and such and such. So we'll completely take that from their playbook and copy it. Because every single situation is different. And one thing we, we were talking about, and I think this is what led us to talk about crisis, actually, was QGate. So we had our wonderful Queen's sad passing led to her being laid in state and lots of, you know... Uh, very brave people queued for sometimes up to 20 hours to walk past her coffin and pay their respects and i've met a couple of those people and i just think they're just standouts i mean just brilliant um and and i'm a bit ashamed of myself to say that i just i I couldn't i just don't know a where they found the time or the strength i mean i think i would just seize up if i had to stand yeah freezing cold as well yeah Yeah. shout out to david beckham uh, my beloved big shout out to david who um who himself did himself a huge pr favor uh, well, I don't think by, he did it for PR, and that's he why he did PR, himself you know. a favour. Yeah, yeah. People get authenticity. Mm. So David Beckham, actually, that's an interesting one, because Ritesh, who I was um, just recently at a conference with, a friend of mine, was standing, like, literally 10 people behind him. And he observed Beckham the whole way through. No favours. He was polite to everybody in, in the queue. He took endless selfies. What, you know... 
what a man and that is from just people watching and seeing what he does on a you know sorry this is the dog scratching i don't know if you can hear it i think ludo really likes david beckham that's that's that's, that's actually a very strong it's a positive response to david beckham from ludo there. but yeah i mean just a very very small yeah. quick sort of like fun analogy actually was um that there's a great clip of david beckham like stood still in the queue and obviously journalists are like absolutely loving the fact that he's queuing up and you're right he did it because and i think he even explained it he explained it so well didn't he, he said you know she's such, been such a huge part of all of our lives you know i was lucky enough to meet her once or twice and i kind of want to pay my respects with the rest of the british public in the way the british public are, are, are doing it themselves and so i'm gonna stand here and i'm gonna queue and i'm gonna go and see her and pay my last respects and then the camera kind of pans out and there's a brilliant lady who the journalist is in like oh what's it like to be queuing next to david beckham half expecting this lady to go well it's just amazing it's david beckham i can't believe it and she turned around and went well he's been getting quite hungry but fortunately for him i bought quite a bit of food with me because i knew we'd be in this queue for a while so i've been giving him a bit of food just to keep his strength up and if he ever want i got my flask full of tea and he's been having a few cups of tea as well and yeah he's been good as gold actually really very polite as you'd expect and you're kind of there going this is the most british thing i have ever seen it's a huge queue this is a global icon oh he's a bit hungry do you know what i mean you sort of keeping his strength up like you are amazing you're a hero but i mean that's that's the kind of that's the good end of things but obviously hugate refers to ah yeah some very different people refers to two different people for people listening to this podcast who aren't in in the uk we have probably the biggest morning television program that's broadcast on one of our main tv stations called this morning and its main presenters are holly willoughby and philip schofield and they've been presenting this show for years, decades. So anyway, they went to, as I understand, the real scenario was they went to report and film on the queue on what was happening. And it was going to be, I mean, their morning show is, is very much a news show, a news and trends show that's aligned to the, the events that are happening in the UK that day. So, of course, a lot of their coverage over the week of the Queen lying in state was all related to this. And they were down in Westminster filming and they were told, we will take you through so you can pay your respects while you're down here doing your job as reporters. Now, what we understand reporters to do is we all understand that reporters can get into big events or do their reporting from any major event all happening and have access and we you know you naturally understand that if reporters need access they get access and nobody questions that ever normally but unfortunately they were seen to walk past the queen's um coffin pay their respects and then zoom off into the side and they were seen by our wonderful tabloid press <laughs> as skipping the queue that the, the rest of the nation had been queuing for upwards of 10, 15, 20 hours. And this caused a massive hoo-ha. Um, because to be honest, Holly and Phil are UK icons. You know, mm. they're, they're seen as very pure, very good people, representative of the, the masses. And they've shared their lives with us. We feel very close to them. Phil recently came out on television as being gay yep. um, and involved everybody. So, that, so they have a very close relationship with their audience. 
And so when this blew up, I really don't think that they had even conceived of the fact that this could be turned into a negative news story for them. And then you see, and we touched on multimedia in our previous podcast, all things are going on like change.org, petitions were being brought up, sign this petition to take them off our screens and memes were going around on social media and it just was, uh, I'm trying to think of a politically correct way of saying a fest. Yeah, and, no, but you um... are right though. That's, that, that is the, <laughs> no, but it really is. That is the way to describe it. And it became huge out of nowhere. Out really... of nowhere. And I think it was just, I think for so for, for the few days where everybody was being quite respectful and politically correct because of the Queen's passing, I think it was almost like the nation needed to explode into something. And unfortunately, yeah. they walked right into that. But what I looked at and what I thought was very poorly handled was their crisis management of that situation. Now, bear in mind, I just said, and I, the reason I told you about Phil coming out as being gay was very significant is because what they forgot was that their audience and the, the nation really see Holly and Phil as being their friends. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way they position themselves in this morning. They give that insight into their lives. They, you know, that they make people feel like they know them. And so there is a consequence for that. Because when that went wrong, what they should have considered was going straight back to that form of, oh my God, I never thought that this would happen. I'm really, really sorry. We completely mucked up. We just had no idea that that it would be seen this way. We were doing our jobs. We were reporting with all the other press people. And we did want to pay our respects, but we didn't think that maybe we shouldn't, that maybe we should say, no, we're not going to pay our respects. We're going to go and join the queue and stand with David because he's a mate of ours and do it that way. They didn't think that maybe we'd have liked them to stand in the queue and report on being in the queue because that's the sort of journalism that they do. So the first thing is they let ITV handle their crisis. They let their bosses say, uh, 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 you're not saying a thing. We're going to say this. You shouldn't say sorry because it wasn't your fault. And that's why it all blew up. So the crisis was handled so badly. I felt like phoning up and saying, are you guys crazy? Do you not understand your own program's audiences? Because you're just making this worse. But unfortunately... It, the damage was done damage so done. you yeah. can handle crisis in the bad bad way so it is a really it's a fine art sometimes to read the mood sorry i sort of carried on as no, i no, no, because it was really good actually it brings up a really interesting point and we've spoken a little bit about well actually quite a lot about messaging positioning strategy preparedness planning and i think obviously having a crisis management plan in place is is very very important but for that crisis management plan to be successful when it's needed, it also crucially has to be on message, on the same message that you as a brand, as a company, as a business, as a client have been, you know, towing a line on for however long you've been operating as a brand, as a business, as a franchise. And where Holly and Phil got it so spectacularly wrong and where ITV got it spectacularly wrong from their perspective as well is to your point, Holly and Phil's MO 
is that we are of you we are of the people and we get to the crux of real world stories and real life stories you know we're not and do you know what? One of the biggest things they do on their, their television show is a phone-in. Mm. They give advice to people on how to handle tricky situations. Now, if they'd had an ounce of intelligence in the higher-ups, they'd gone, right, listen, Holly and Phil, you actually got directed in the wrong way. Maybe we could do a phone-in and say, listen, guys, we really cocked up then because we were directed to go and do this and we didn't even think why don't we do a phone in and share that experience and how horrified we were about getting this so wrong and do a phone in and and why don't we examine this and take it further and get everybody phoning in and saying hey i got told to do something and that got me into deep doo-doo and and then you know they're saying they're actually showing people how to manage their own crisis while exactly they're managing right. their crisis. That's such a spot on point because the thing is, is that it was twofold bad, wasn't it really? Because oh. in the first instance, it was there was no apology, which I think people would still have kind of taken as semi hollow, but would have moved on and got over it. But also the fact that not everyone in the world can go, hey, major TV corporation, deal with my mistake. And that kind of made them appear to be other than what we perceive them to be up to and including that point, because what we perceive them to be was of us thought and with us, us and thought leaders of us. Examples and actually, of how we live our best lives. If I make a similar mistake where I cut the queue and people have a go at me in a shop or what have you, I can't turn around to my team and go, and say, Ooh, tell everybody that I tell was everyone desperate I for the loo or something. was desperate for the loo yeah. or tell everyone <laughs> that I was, you know, directed in the wrong way. I have to deal with my own thing. I have to take accountability of what it was that I did. And the and... interesting thing was they wanted to, allegedly, mm. They wanted to deal with it themselves and they were probably contractually, that's the only reason I can think. Shut you know, the, the bosses at ITV probably contractually said, nope, you know, we control all the comms about this. And Well, this is I the thing. Know. International listeners who are unfamiliar with Holly Weatherby and Phil Schofield, this is a duo who the British public, if they are avid watchers of this morning, revel in watching turn up to work still half cut from the night before yeah. at television awards these they are two guys in lives in the who events. like kind of it's a snapshot of them like when we see them go live or it will be it they you know so they're doled up and they, you know they're both very attractive people but they're hiccuping and they're yeah clutching their heads and going oh you know so I, I had a few too many last night exactly that's what made it so weird that they didn't go on the following morning and be like hey we're not going to show you any of the footage we shot because it doesn't seem like the right time given the furore that's surrounding our behavior and what happened we want to set the record straight but we also want to say we're sorry and if i'm their pr or if i'm itv's pr i'm going just do that because it's going to translate a lot better than a statement being released by ITV and just completely taking them out of the firing line. Do you know what I mean, sometimes that does work. And that's another, you know, that is another method of crisis management. I think it, again, I don't have the same experience as you and other PR professionals have, but that strikes me as maybe a last resort, just taking someone completely out of the firing line. Yeah, because... sometimes common sense should always prevail. Yeah, exactly right. You know, Um you know, there's, I've handled so many different types of crisis with so many different moving parts. And so, you know, you do need to take some time out. So the first thing is do take time to think about your reaction to anything. And time for, you know, in live 
evolving situations an hour can seem way too long oh we should be doing this we should be doing that we should be doing this but that example is a really good example of a rushed approach to the situation they really had a good 10 hours if you really think about it until they broadcast the next show from when the mistake was made they're 24 hours really but a good you know five ten hours of being able to sit as a group and talk about things and and balance all the different considerations and everything else but i can't believe that that response was crafted in anything less than 10 minutes knee-jerk reaction and it still hasn't really gone away has it i mean like there's kind of still some uncertainty around certainly holly willoughby's future she might want to jump ship now and whether or not that's been on the cards for a while but she's obviously kind of perspective i think i i'd feel pretty let down by the people around me if Mm. i personally copped all of this doodah and had been hamstrung and not allowed to say things from my perspective and i'm still down the line copying a bit more doodad so it's just it's such a great illustration of how crisis management can be done badly really really badly and it's also to me a great example of how and i know people could say you could never plan for that particular incident but you can plan for one of them to do something that the public hates And you can have a plan in place that is being constantly updated as to the mood of the time. Well, there was a similar instance, again, on ITV, you know, a major broadcast corporation here in the UK, uh, broadcast all over the world still. And personalities that appear on ITV are worldwide stars. They're not just, you know, British stars um, for the most part. It's not an entirely similar situation, but one of... Our beloved Anton Deck did something very, very silly a couple of years ago and got themselves into a bit of hot water. It mm. was the ant side of Anton Deck a couple of years ago. Mm. And that was handled far better from an Anton Deck brand side because I remember watching Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway that week and it was just Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway. Yeah. And Deck went out and he was visibly nervous because he'd never done anything like that on his own before because no matter how professional they are, they always do things as a duo and they're kind of each other's stability and each other's rock in terms of going out and entertaining people on the telly and also in the audience there live at the show. And he looked visibly nervous, but he also addressed it and kind of extended an apology on behalf of his friend for what had happened. And Anne's just going to take some time but in the meantime, the show must so go on. So that particular incident was when one of the duo, presenting duo again, had had problems with drugs and alcohol yep. that had stemmed from a long injury that he'd had and it just got out of control. He ended up crashing his car and that had brought it all to a head and he'd actually hurt a member of the public in the crash. And what they did, which was different, was they actually acted before they almost spoke or in tandem with their message. So for the public, they actually saw a physical change, an action taking place to mitigate for what was going on, which happened really quickly with some consideration for both the person who'd been injured in the public, for the person, for Ant himself, who clearly needed help at the time, but they still soldiered on with the expectation of the public who wanted their entertainment still and wanted to get their live show and they weren't letting down a load of people who they'd set up to service through this particular live show on a Saturday night. 
So, you know, that's a very good example of crisis management because it's like we're going to do something we're going to show we're going to act not only use words and we're going to commentate during this but with respect and explain the boundaries and i think when they did communicate they said there are issues in this that we can't talk about right now because there's an accident that's taking place and it's being investigated plus there is a private life of an individual who's in their own crisis that it's not fair of us to talk to them on their behalf. We'll wait for them to talk about it themselves kind of thing. But that was an action. And people mm. went, okay, I get that. I understand. And didn't really, there was no big backlash about it. I mean, you will find, especially in our world nowadays, there'll always be memes. There'll always be commentary. There'll always be yeah. opinion. But it's, you know, it's minimizing your openness to criticism. But we've talked about authenticity a lot, haven't we, in our podcast about communications. And that's another thing which is really important in crisis. The first thing you should be thinking about is the people who are damaged in that crisis. Before you even think about talking to people about it, it's like, is this being handled? Are all of those people being served within the crisis? That should be your first instinct then what can we say about it right now yeah who needs to know the information what do they need to know and why do they need to know it and there are certain things you won't be able to answer there are certain things you just like we use the example of the train crash sometimes you don't even want to think about the media you just want to think about who needs to know what's going on so that's your first thing with crisis communications is Think about the crisis and how, who's it, who's affected and what's being done and then who needs to be communicated to. A lot of people think about crisis in just the media terms and it really isn't. It's about what's happened, how that's going to get better. And communications around that should be, the intention should be to help ease the situation, not publicize the situation, mitigate for the situation, and, and in some cases, make it better, help the situation. Sometimes you, you need to bring the public together to help with the crisis. We've spoken a lot about some examples that have reared their ugly heads recently, and they have been ugly heads because they, you know, kind of ultimately not been dealt with all that well, or have been dealt with semi-well by actioning something, embarking on a very clear, concise divided up compartmentalized strategy of like Mm. sort of making sure that the audience are satiated in terms of what response they would like to see making sure that the actually the people involved in the crisis well looked after i was going to ask you though something that's just struck me based on something you just said towards the end of your point you were making there is that sometimes good crisis management can make what was a crisis better for a brand or a franchise than had nothing actually even happened as well right Do you know what i mean it can kind of yeah. be a fork in the road there's like three different types i imagine there's it not going well and you managing a crisis very poorly there's plugging the gap to such an extent that you've managed the crisis effectively but is there also crisis management where it's like hang on a minute and you don't want to sound sordid and you don't want to sound like you're kind of making the best out of a bad situation deliberately. No one ever wants to accuse anyone of having deliberately created a crisis for themselves. But there must be instances in history mm. of crisis management that has ultimately 
manifested something positive for a business or a brand or a franchise 100%. moving forward like I mean have you had experience <clears throat> of that yourself very much so I think you know bad things happen but it's often the way you do it not necessarily the communication thereof it's just it's just how you do it and quite often as well employers at a brand franchise company business whatever you want to call it whatever the iteration may be their instinct I imagine is 99 times out of 100 right in terms of how they would like to respond to a crisis and how they would like a crisis responded to if you're handling a crisis in the right way then what nets out as the result of communications can usually only come out in the right way if you're handling it the right way yeah if you are doing everything in a considered and by the book way you can only go wrong by making some half-assed communications effort like ITV did with Holly and Phil they certainly did not have Holly and Phil's best interests at heart they were just reacting for their program and you know that I think what they missed there was because they have rotating presenters I think what they missed there was that Holly and Phil really are the program that point of authenticity as well brings us all the way back to David Beckham how I believe every episode of every podcast ever should end is uh, is with David Beckham. Um, but the idea that David Beckham was not in that queue to build his own PR because it doesn't need to be built any further, that free kick against Greece, him being generally superb, you know, we, he doesn't need any more. You sound like he? you like David Beckham even more than me. Which I, I do, you know, possible. I do quite like, I mean, I don't, I don't think I could like anybody more than you, Jackie, but I, uh, but I do, I do quite like David Beckham. You know, he, he, you know, sort of played impeccably well for my beloved Manchester United for a number of years. But again, he was just authentically there to celebrate the passing of a British icon, the longest serving monarch in Britain's history. And he was just there to do it because he felt like a real sense of a desire and drive to do that in and of himself. I want to go and pay my respects to someone I met a number of times and who meant a great deal to me, as she did to the British public. And he was doing it because of that. He wasn't in the queue dressed again impeccably, uh, as he always is. God, this is turning into a David Beckham fan hour. Um, but he might have to cut this. He, he might have to cut this down. <laughs> Sorry, David. But again, if you want to come on, uh, info at the rest is PR. Um, dot, dot. Ask um, Kelly. She knows him. Oh, it, we're getting Kelly back on. There's another reason why we're getting Kelly back on. But just like, again, finishing it, like, you know, he, he was authentically there to do the right thing. And as a result, it made for great PR accidentally. You know what I mean? He wasn't doing it for that. And as a result, it made for an excellent PR story for him. It was like, oh, how brilliant is it that David Beckham, who could literally have just asked anybody in that queue, do you mind if I just sort of go to the front? You know, I'm David Beckham. And they'd have gone, probably, yeah, sure, why not? Let me ask someone, I'm sure it's fine. But he never crossed his mind to do that. And I think, yeah, authenticity is such a brilliant point when it comes to managing these sorts of things. Again, it brings us full circle to the first person you mentioned. You know, Branson knew... He had to be at that place at that time to deliver a message of any kind to people who wanted answers. But it was the fact that it was so authentically delivered. It was the fact that it was like, look, it would have been easy for me to not appear here because I don't actually have the answers for you that I would like to have. But Mm. I am here because I know you need to hear from me. And that kind of authentic delivery of a message appeased a public who just wanted to know what on earth had happened and whether it was going to happen again. And so I think what we've ultimately landed on here is that good crisis management comes down to fair enough as ever have a brilliant plan and know what it is that you're about to kind of try and enact as a strategy. But just for the love of God, be authentic. 
Mm. The love think of God about, be truthful. Think about the crisis. Think yeah. about what the people that are affected by that. Who it affects, And then yeah. work your strategy from there. And, you know, there are, as I said, you can, there are certainly for me, checklists in my head mm. of things I do when I'm in a crisis. But you kind of have to run the checklist alongside with, is this crisis being dealt with properly? Are the people who are involved in this crisis being looked after? And exactly right. if they are, then it will play out as best as it can if it's being handled in the right way. And as communicators, I know it sounds a terrible thing to say, but we can't sometimes control the way a company handles the crisis. But we can certainly advise and we can certainly help. And sometimes, and I don't think I was just thinking, have I ever walked away from a crisis? I don't think I have because most of the time I'd be brought in because I know how to handle a crisis. But I would walk away from a crisis if I didn't think it was being handled properly. Genuinely, I would, because yeah. that is something that's that's a, a, an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. Then you've crisis. got a crisis within a crisis. Yeah, haven't you? crisis you've got, you've got, the, crisis you've got crisis. the crisis itself, <laughs> and then you've got the crisis of how it's being dealt with. I mean, I don't yeah. know about you, listeners, but I am going to adopt a lot of these strategies when dealing <laughs> with the many crises that affect my life on a daily basis, and it's important. This is just a you know a very lighthearted message. There is no crisis too small. You know, always adopt this uh, sort of authentic sort of approach to dealing with things. But I've learned again as a huge amount. Thank you so much for sort of. It's a big divulging. subject. I think we've only just sort of scratched the surface of it. But again, yeah, yeah, exactly right. And we'll we'll almost certainly come back to this when we have our plethora of incredible guests that are coming on the podcast in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for those listeners. We're very very excited by all of them who are coming to join us on the rest is PR. But as ever. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Recipe Art. If you would like to get in touch with us, email myself, lyle.demozo.com, info at demozo.com, or you can email info at therestispr.com as well, because we're also responding to emails on that email address. As ever, if you want to hear about what Demozo have been up to, what Jackie, Daff, myself, the rest of the team have been getting up to at Demozo, head over to demozo.com. And if you want to just relive all the many brilliant episodes we've had so far because this is incredibly episode nine i don't know how jackie's let me get this far i'm on a roll i'm loving it creative license ludo's very excited as you can hear ludo's just decided that he can hear you rap this is the thing he knows he'll go he's going to join me ludo's going to come and join us now as i say (laughs) that if you would like to hear more about what's going on at the podcast you can head on over to the rest is pr.com my name as ever is lyle Horton. That is the wonderful Jackie with her amazingly beautiful <laughs> dog, Ludo. And we will all, I have no doubt, see you next week for another episode. I think I'd rather you said the amazingly beautiful Jackie with her wonderful <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I've caught myself out there. The amazingly beautiful Jackie and Ludo. There you go. Both of them as beautiful as ever. And we'll see you next week for another fantastic episode of The Rest is PR. From myself, Jackie and Ludo, it's bye, bye. for now. Bye.